0: What are you doing if you go down into your kitchen at 3 a.m. on Christmas Eve and you see the Grinch just in there? No thoughts, just vibes, and two ridiculous cheeks looking like he's got two basketballs inside of his pants. I don't know about you guys, but I saw this tweet yesterday of the Grinch double-cheeked up just admiring admiring the christmas spirit looking at some lights he's at some sort of fucking festival enjoying himself and i never realized that the grinch was actually just lana rhodes or that the grinch never actually stole christmas well i mean he stole christmas as well but he was trying to actually steal the kardashian ass implant that's what i realized From looking at this picture, the Grinch has no excuse to be this thick, dog. There's absolutely no reason for it. I mean, it really is preposterous. And I wanna thank Stank Sinatra on Twitter for posting this fucking excellent, this excellent holiday meme. It is just fucking Chef's Kiss. It make it to meet the ball, as they say in my home country or make it a sauce this is the fucking prosciutto and arugula on this is the fucking prosciutto and arugula pizza of christmas pictures and yes i stole that because i was watching MasterChef <laughs> with hassan piker on his twitch stream the other day shout out to giuseppe the only real italian on Chef Season 2. Shout out to him. I don't care that people didn't like his pizza. That was an authentic pizza, and I'm not surprised that folks were upset about it, but you want to know what, guys? We're just going to go ahead, and we're going to dive right in. We're going to start talking about the NBA. The NBA is about to kick the fuck off, and I can say this confidently because it happens every year around Christmas. Every year around Christmas, NBA teams... Really start to heat up. Like, and finally reach the level that we thought they would. Teams like Phoenix, even though Phoenix is probably already as good as they can be, I feel like... I also feel like the
1: lighting in my room is all fucked up right now. Fucking goddamn... Stuff. Oh. I think that should be a little better. Anyway, the Suns, the Warriors, the Nets. I'm hoping the Nets actually
0: don't fucking make me want to cry every time they go up against a good team because that's happened all too frequently to begin the season. Brooklyn just fucking, this guy just fucking, or these guys fucking blast. They ass blast all of the bad teams in the league. But then every, every time they go up against a good team, a team like Chicago, who the Nets lost to Twice, and it's because the fucking schedule makers, for whatever reason, were like, oh, the Bulls? Yeah, dude, we know the Bulls are going to be good this year. Let's have them play the Nets when the Nets are on the second half of a back to back. Twice! And I know they lost to the Bucks on opening night. I know they narrowly beat the Sixers the day at, or a couple days after losing to the Bucks. I know that the Warriors fucking spat on them because Steph Curry is a fucking demigod. But. I think they're finally going in the right direction, especially with what I've seen from James Harden recently. He had 34, I think it was 34 against the Knicks a couple weeks ago or I think it was like probably last week at this point. He just looks he looks different. It looked well, you know, we're going to credit he's going to credit Reggie Miller for giving him that little pep talk before going to play the Knicks. That really that really helped get him to remembering that he's James Harden. But I'm going to take credit for this because on what was it last Tuesday or Wednesday? Well, Tuesday, I recorded Wednesday. I posted, but I was like, James, I spoke to James directly through our lefty telekinesis. All left-handed people feel the pain and they know when other lefties are not themselves. And James, being a lefty, being a fellow lefty, I looked at him and I went, James, you're James fucking Harden, man. You're a former MVP. You're one of the most dynamic players that the NBA has ever seen. Why are you playing like this? Why are you playing like a rookie? Straight up, he was playing like a rookie. No aggressiveness, not trying to get to the hole, settling for bad threes, not taking the mid-range jumpers when they were there. Granted, I know that James Harden isn't particularly fond of the mid-range jumpers, which I understand. But it gets to a point where when you recognize that the Nets cannot lean on KD all season long, you have to take... What the defense gives you. This isn't Houston where Mike D'Antoni is hands off and basically saying, like, hey, either get a three or get a layup. It doesn't matter. Get one of those two. The Nets, at this point, they're not getting any fucking layups. They're like, hey, if there's an open shot, take it. If there's a mid range jumper, don't be afraid of the mid range, James. You've averaged 36 points in the past, 36 points a night. Don't worry about getting to the free throw line. Don't worry about getting cucked by the referees, this that whatever, and I think that James Harden is finally coming into his own now what i the story that I wanna lead off with is one that I wouldn't have realized or I wouldn't have um noticed if it weren't for having checked my phone before getting before getting started with the court record, the recording. I was a little off off my pace today, you know. to be on the mic around one or two o'clock depending but around one o'clock Shams goes ahead and tweets this says that the Indiana Pacers are moving towards a rebuild receptive to trade talks centered on Karis Levert and either DeMontis Sabonis or Miles Turner so they're looking to clean house I have the report here, at least I thought I had the report here, and this is courtesy of Shams Sharanya and Bob Kravitz, both of whom work for the Athletic. In need of a new direction amid a 10 and 16 start to the season, the Indiana Pacers are moving toward a substantial rebuild and are expected to open up trade conversations around some of their veteran stalwarts. Multiple sources said that the Pacers are receptive in trade dialogue and rival teams centered on potentially moving Karis Lavert and either two-time All-Star DeMontas Sabonis or center Miles Turner. All three players have fr- frequently garnered significant interest from rival teams. Pacers officials have received frequent calls on both of their big men over the past several seasons, but new head coach Rick Carlisle wanted an opportunity to spend time with Sabonis and Turner and grow the roster. Even still... Carlisle has remained in seeing the frontcourt duo together. I would imagine Rick Carlisle wants to keep these guys together because, yes, it's his first year and because they are one of the best frontcourt duos in the NBA. They play, DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner play off of each other so magnificently. Their skill sets are perfectly suited for them to be teammates. Sabonis, as we know, is the offensive part of the duo. Turner, who I believe is still leading the league in blocks. If he's not leading the league, he's up there. I think last time I saw he was averaging like close to three and a half blocks a game. This kid, and I can't even say that this kid because he's like 25 or something. He's my age. He's not a kid anymore. He's been in the league for fucking forever. But this guy is one of, if not the best defensive center in the NBA. And of course, Sabonis is pretty good. I don't want to say he's pretty good defensively. He's an okay defender. I mean, he's a big Burly guy who inhales a lot of rebounds, so that definitely helps. The hardest part about the def- the defensive possessions are closing them, and you need rebounders to close defensive possessions. Miles Turner has began to break out recently and become more of a threat on offense. If I remember correctly, he's good for about anywhere from twelve to fifteen points a night this year. He's at twelve and a half shooting damn near 40% from three. Miles Turner is a legitimate stretch five. And he is still leading the lead in blocks, but he's at 2.6 right now. He averaged 3.4 last year, so I guess that's where I got it a little, uh, a little fucked up. But this kid is a legitimate stretch five. And what I like about him more than anything else is, of course, his prowess on defense. When you have such a, such a presence in the the center position, at the center position, someone who really just makes the paint impenetrable, you as a defensive team are way better off because that means your guards are able to be a little bit more aggressive on the perimeter. They can gamble more. They also can just kind of be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to defend my ass off, and I don't have to worry about getting beat because if I get beat, Miles Turner is on the backside waiting to rotate over. That alone is going to draw significant interest from all sorts of contending teams. One contending team being the Brooklyn Nets. When
1: I don't know how many of you guys are Nets fans. How many of you guys keep up with the Nets? And my fucking cat is really just fucking with you. Okay. <laughs> One of the Nets' biggest issues is that
0: they don't have a presence inside right now. Their center position is basically non-existent. I mean, Nick Claxton just came back from uh, dealing with a non-COVID related illness that kept him out for for quite a while, actually, Um, longer than many people could have anticipated. So even before he went out, he wasn't in prime. He wasn't in shape. His conditioning wasn't there. He was getting fucking blasted, ran off the court, just thoroughly embarrassed. And of course, that was all exacerbated by James Harden trying to turn him into Clint Capella, which was simply not happening. Now that Clax is back, he is trying to get reacclimated into the lineup, but that's certainly going to take some time. The other guy who's been getting, um, or who was getting, a lot of run to begin the season was Blake Griffin. But as I spoke about last week with Blake Griffin getting benched, uh, he j- he really hasn't deserved significant minutes at this point. He doesn't bring anything to the table. I think he's playing well beyond his means, um trying to do a little bit too much, not taking what the offensive scheme gives him, which is something that LaMarcus Aldridge has capitalized on and which is why LaMarcus Aldridge is one of Steve Nash's go-to guys. One of his go-to scorers on offense, whether it's pick and pops, hanging out around the free throw line, playing with his back to the basket. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge deserves every minute that he's received. So far, I don't think anyone is going to debate that. But the issue that the Nets are going to run into is when they go up against the other top teams in the East, like the Milwaukee Bucks, like the Miami Heat, like the Philadelphia 76ers. What do these three teams have in common? Well, that's if the Sixers are able to uh, turn it around. But even the Chicago Bulls, what do all of those teams have in common? They have legitimate pieces. In the front court or at the center position, more specifically, you look at Nikola Vucevic, you look at Bam Adebayo, you look at Giannis. Uh, unfortunately, Brook Lopez, uh, I don't think will be returning this season because he just underwent back surgery, so he's out. I think he's out indefinitely, so we'll see what happens with that. But still, Giannis, someone who plays the five at times, even if he doesn't play the five, he plays like a five. Uh Joel Embiid. I know I mentioned the Sixers, not one of the top teams, but still, Joel Embiid is one of the best players in the league at his position. not even just at his position, but just in the league in general. Miles Turner gives Brooklyn someone to go up against those guys. And I don't know how likely it is that LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, not LaMarcus Aldridge, that uh, fucking, what's his name? Miles Turner makes his way over to Brooklyn because that's, well, for the Nets to trade for anybody this season, it's going to be exceptionally difficult. But the perimeter defense is fine. The offense is relatively fine if James Harden is going to continue to play at this level. Of course, there's Kevin Durant, MVP caliber player. LaMarcus, Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, we know is out, so that's a damper on the offense. But even when he comes back, if Miles Turner can come in, hit a couple threes, and protect the paint, that drastically, drastically changes the outlook of the Eastern Conference because we know Brooklyn doesn't have Kyrie Irving, but you have Kevin Durant, you have James Harden playing at the level that everyone knows that James Harden can play at, and you bring in someone like Miles Turner to patch
1: your final weakness on the defensive end. Pacers are moving towards opening further playing time for Chris
0: Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, the team's 13th and 22nd overall picks, respectively, in the 2021 draft. Indiana's 13th in the Eastern Conference and fourth in their division. In 24 games, Duarte has shown to be a dependable player on both ends of the court and is a favorite of Carlisle. Chris Chris Duarte is a fantastic rookie. Absolutely huge balls, not afraid of the moment, will go shot for shot with the best player on your team is not afraid he is definitely a guy that Indiana can build around I don't know much about Isaiah Jackson I haven't seen much of him on the timeline but Chris Duarte if they want to keep Malcolm Brogdon as well that's a pretty good one-two punch for them going forward the Pacers signed starting point guard Malcolm Brogdon to a two-year extension prior to the start of the season placing him under contract through 2025 and thus making him ineligible to be traded during this campaign that could change Obviously, but when you are trying to build a young team or to build a rebuilding team or entering a rebuild, however the fuck you want to phrase it, one of the most important things to have are veteran players who can just keep everyone in check. Malcolm Brogdon, the general or whatever the fuck his nickname is, Barack Obama, he sounds just like Barack Obama, is a leader in every sense of the word. He went to Virginia. He spent three or four years at Virginia. A huge part of the Cavaliers dynasty. I, I guess it's a dynasty. They had a bunch of good years, and Malcolm Brogdon was at the center of it all. Comes to the league, and he's developed into a very, very reliable point guard, a very good quality starting point guard, or started. He's a very, he's an above average point guard. Great floor general, great facilitator. Can get a bucket when the team needs. If the Pacers are looking to go young, and you want to try to keep any of these guys around, if you had to pick, I my pick would be Malcolm Brogdon. So if I'm working in the Pacers front office, I'm like, if we can move Levert, that's cool. If we can move Turner, that's cool. If we can move Sabonis, that's cool. But we're n- not moving Bra- Brogdon unless the price is absolutely right. Because he is in an invaluable presence in the locker room, and will continue to be an invaluable presence in the locker room as the rest of his contract winds down because at the end of his at the end of this current
1: deal in 2025 he'll be like 30 I think he's yeah he's got to be like 30 so,
0: no, so he'll be 32 he's 28 now i forgot that when he came into the league he was 24 holy shit fucking boomer anyway he'll be in his early 30s of course things can get a little a little dicey because malcolm brogdon could very well turn around and be like hey get me off this dog shit team i want to go play for a championship so we'll have to see what happens with that it's unclear to rival teams how swift the pacers could begin to make moves but it's expected the franchise will be patient in its approach and reach decisions based on the best offers that are made generally that's how you want to do it you want to take the best offer Available Sabonis, who's 25, is regarded as the Pacers' best player. He was an All-Star in the past two seasons, and in 26 games this season, is averaging 18 points, 12 boards, and four assists. He's seen his scoring average decrease to his lowest since 2018-19. But the six-foot-11 big man, who is currently under contract through 2024, possesses significant value across the NBA. Even to average 18 and 12 is phenomenal. Let alone 20 and 12, 22 and 12. However, I mean Sabonis could potentially be a 24-point-per-game scorer depending on the situation that he goes to. If he goes to a better team and becomes an integral piece of that offense, he could easily see his average balloon back to what it was. Over the past few seasons, the Pacers have have faced the question internally and externally. Can Sabonis and and Turner coexist on the floor and help the organization take the next step in playoff contention? The franchise has remained patient by seeing through both big men and their potential together in their primes, but a breakup now appears on the horizon. Pacers have been without starting forward TJ Warren for the past year. With the breakout bubble star playing only in four games a season ago and making slow progress this season with an injured left foot, Warren was cleared last week to start light. On court activity, but remains out for the foreseeable future to complicate matters. Warren will be an unrestricted free agent next summer. Oh my God, this just keeps fucking going. Uh, I'm going to skim this real quick, but before I do, I don't think necessarily the issue is Turner and Sabonis not being able to coexist. It's that while both of these guys are very good, above average for their position, Sabonis being an all star, obviously, Indiana does not have a star player. It's been proven year after year in the modern day NBA, you will simply not see any serious success unless you have a super duper star player on your franchise. Giannis, Kawhi Leonard when he went to Toronto, Steph Curry, obviously, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving. Well, LeBron James and Kyrie were together. Um, Kevin Durant and James Harden. All of the top teams right now have legitimate star players. Even like we, we can argue about Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan all we want, but at the least, those guys are stars. I don't think either is a superstar, mainly because the term superstar has off-court implications as well. Like, you can be a superstar basketball player, sure. But in order to be like a bona fide superstar, you have to have the -the off-the-court presence that kind of rivals what you do on the court. Like, what guys like LeBron have, Steph Curry, James Harden, Kevin Durant, icons, Giannis, Luca, even. But the Bulls have two stars, without a doubt. And two stars in today's NBA is just as good as one superstar. The Pacers never had that. They never had anyone who was better than Sabonis. And I don't think you're winning a title with Sabonis as your best player. Especially when you look at the other centers in his class. Guys like Joel Embiid. Nikola... uh, What the fuck is his name? Nikola Jokic. Pardon me. It's it's not going to work. Which is why sending Sabonis or Turner to a contender. More so Sabonis. Because Sabonis is without a doubt the best player on that team. Sending him to a contender where he can be the second or third guy. Is is a no brainer for any team looking to bring him on. But I don't necessarily think that the, um. I don't think that the, the less than desirable results that those, those two have produced are on them entirely because they've produced on their own Turner. I don't think lived up to the hype, at least as an offensive talent, but this kid, as I already gushed about earlier, this kid is still Arguably the best defensive center in the NBA. But let's keep it going. Sources tell The Athletic that Warren has expressed to management he'd like to remain in Indianapolis in the past. and Instead, the Pacers... Son- oh, God.
1: Now, the owner or whatever is... Uh, are they still talking about what the fuck? There are three ways to acquire
0: players, draft, trade, and free agency. For Indiana, though, there are really only two ways to draft and trades with emphasis on trades. Indiana has never been a free agent destination. That's 100% true. Indiana has been competitive in virtually every game, but hasn't been able to close out games late. The paces are 1-8 in games decided by four points or less. The franchise hoped to replicate what the Detroit Pistons accomplished back in 2004. When they won a title with a team filled with very good players, but no established superstar, that hasn't happened. That is,
1: it, okay, if you're, if you're trying to build an NBA team, the 0-4 the Pistons
0: are a legendary team, iconic. You will not be able to do that at this stage. It's impossible. It's simply impossible. And it's impossible because, one, the Detroit Pistons were probably the best defense in the history of the NBA. And they were that at a time when there wasn't this surplus of superstars and this surplus of scoring. Way harder to do in today's NBA. There are too many guys on every team for your team to defend. Also, the Pistons, just because they didn't have any superstars, look at the roster they had. You, you, you cannot compare DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon to Rashid Wallace, Rip Hamilton, and Chauncey Billups. Okay? Let's get that let's get that out of the way. That's simply
1: not happening. And as I already mentioned before, you need superstars to win in today's league.
0: However you acquire them, that's on you. Whether it's free agency, which is generally how a lot of stars you end up with, um, their teams. No one's going to Indiana right now. I'm sorry. What is there in Indiana? I'm just I'm being mean now. I'm sorry. But what's in Indiana? What is the attraction to the Pacers for an S-tier NBA player over New York City, over Los Angeles, over Miami? Like the Pacers at this point are better off just trying to build through the trade or trying to build through the draft, and trying to trade, obviously, these guys that they have. But holy shit, man. To think that you're going to build a team like the '04 4 Pistons, that's absolutely insane. Never would I ever think, never would I ever think to do that. At any rate, I, I God, I hope and I fucking pray that Miles Turner somehow winds up on the Brooklyn Nets. And of course, I'm going to hope that he winds up on the Brooklyn Nets with. <laughs> them not trading anybody if they could just like steal him uh that would be awesome if they could trade him or if they could trade like
1: i'm trying to think maybe they'll trade like a super fan like you can't trade mr whammy obviously but
0: maybe just maybe you trade i don't know Saquon Barkley. I don't even know if Saquon Barkley is a Nets fan, but I know I've seen him at the Barclays Center. If you trade Saquon Barkley and make him be a Pacers fan for Miles Turner, I think that could work. Um, I'd 100% trade Steve Nash for Miles Turner. I still think that Jacques Vaughn should be the head coach of that team, but that's not my decision to make. Um, yeah, it's it would be really interesting to see how that happened for sure, and I do feel like. There's this there's this sinking suspicion that I have that if the Nets tried to make a trade like that, they would also try to just like do a three or a four team or try to get like Damian Lillard or fucking Ben Simmons or somebody like that. Now <laughs> that was a beautiful segue. I didn't even
1: I didn't even think about that beforehand. So Damian Lillard is in the news partly because of himself partly because of people reporting things about
0: him that could potentially be true. I don't know. There was a report from Shams, I think it was Shams, and Sam Amick, talking about how Dame is not too pleased about what's going on in Portland. And he comes out and he tweets, I just fucking closed Twitter and I gotta go back to his page. And he goes out and he tweets, damn, Y'all motherfuckers love drama. Or something to that extent. I'm going to
1: pull up the actual tweet right now. Where is it? Did he delete it? No, he didn't. He's just retweeting shit. These
0: motherfuckers love drama too damn much. And this was someone who... Okay, so. I finally found it. Finally found it. Quote. This is from the Shams article. Quote tweeted by Tommy Beer who pulled out this excerpt. Quote, in recent weeks, sources say Lillard has grown frustrated with the team's play and tensions appear to be on the rise between players and Chauncey Billups. Someone then quote tweets this. Lamau, when will y'all learn not to report this shit if Dame ain't say it directly? Um, I don't know who the person that quote tweeted this was. I think he's just a Blazers fan. Uh, He's only got 42 followers. I'm not saying that to shit on him. I'm just saying that I don't know what the relation is to Damien to Lillard and this gentleman if there is a relation at all and then Dame quotes tweet quote tweets that and says these motherfuckers love drama too damn much first of all yes we love drama dude <laughs> nba fans are so we are so petty we need drama like this to help keep us invested right drama and narratives are what make sports entertaining or what keeps sports entertaining i should say because the sporting events are in themselves entertaining right basketball games are fun to watch football games are fun to watch but when there's drama and when there's pettiness and when there are reports it makes it even better right i thought the nba was dramatic until i started watching formula one that shit is literal theatrics okay formula one race uh drivers and their teams are theater kids dude they are so dramatic there is so much drama and i fucking love it it's like every time there's a race like there was a race this past sunday and i don't know if you guys follow f1 but currently um i also only started following it this season this is my first season watching it after blowing through the netflix documentary so i'm i'm new to all this right but you know i knew who lewis hamilton was i knew max verstappen um and if you guys don't know lewis and max are currently in the championship they're tied in the driver's championship and they're going into a race this sunday in abu dhabi which will decide the championship now these two guys racing last week there was all this shit going on they were racing on a new track never had been raced on before and there was just all this miscommunication between the race director and mercedes and the race director and red bull hamilton and verstappen collided on more than one occasion there were multiple overtake attempts because max had to cede position to lewis and then took it right back literal drama drama all the time and of course the netflix drive to survive documentary really uh shined a light on all of the drama that's behind the scenes at least certain teams that are more open to uh (laughs) vomiting out this drama but sports fans we need drama We need the drama. If you're not dramatic, it's less fun. That's just how it is. So, yes, Dame, you are correct. These motherfuckers love drama too damn much. Now, I do understand why players don't... They want as little drama as possible. I totally understand that. I empathize, or... Is it empathize or sympathize? I sympathize with Dame here because it's fucking distracting if you're a player and there's all this shit going on because... Like everyone's gonna tell the players not to go on social media, don't read the papers, don't read the news online, but they're human, man. I don't I don't care if they're an MVP caliber athlete. They're still human, they're still subject to reading their mentions, to going on social media, to seeing what people are saying, which for all of these reasons is why I don't like to shit on players as players or as uh, as humans, because I'm sure they're all Wonderful, but when it comes to basketball, that's where, you know, I have free reign because, you know, it's different. Basketball, I separate the basketball player from the non basketball player. But there is this weird thing where I feel that Damian Lillard is treated. He definitely definitely gets better media treatment than most guys certainly there aren't really a lot of reports that talk about him at least that I can remember it only became more recent because there was all this shit that's been going on with Portland to begin this season you have Chauncey Billups and his whole investigation that um I don't think the Blazers cared to look into before signing him of course we don't know the specifics of also if Dame was consulted on this we don't know for certain I'm sure he was because that's what good teams do they consult their superstars but we don't know we don't know if Dame was like, I mean, yeah, Chauncey's all right. But, you know, I kind of want to not fucking suck anymore. Like, why bring in a rookie head coach if we're trying not to suck? Um, And then you have everything with Neil Olshay, him recently. Um, I think, I can't remember if he was resigned or if he was resigned. I can't remember if he resigned or if he was removed. But, of course, he had that going on. And then to top it all off, the Blazers suck. They're 11-13, and 13, I think, at the time of this recording. They have the worst defense in the league. Dame is playing like not Damian Lillard for some reason. He's shooting like 40% from the field, uh, averaging like barely 21 points a night. He is also dealing with um an abdominal injury, and he's going to be out for the foreseeable future, but I want to read this New York Post article, I know the fucking triumphant and the legendary institution that is the New York Post. Damian Lillard isn't ignoring the noise amid reper- reports of turmoil within the Blazers. Do I even fucking... Why am I... Hold on. Why don't I just read the fucking athletic article? I mean, the New York Post article would probably be better because it is shorter, I feel like. uh, Yeah, we're going to do this because this is probably... Oh, yeah, this is a whole fucking feature. I th- not even, what the fuck? We're gonna read the New York Post article. Fuck it, I'm already here. I simply don't care. Taking to Twitter on Monday, he said, yada, yada, yada. LMAO, when will you? Yeah. And here's another thing, dude the player is never going to say what's actually on their mind. Like, that's literally media training 101. If you have beef with your organization, do not take it public. Do not take it public. We saw Marcus Smart do that earlier this season when he's like, oh, yeah, Jason's got to pass the ball more. He's got to stop being such a fucking ball hog. He sucks. He doesn't suck. He didn't say that, obviously. That's just my own uh, my own commentary. But players are never truthful with the media. Never. And why should they be? The media exists to drum up controversy, create drama. Uh, creating drama, I think, is different than drumming up controversy because... Again, drama is just, you know, you're, exa- you're over-exaggerating a little bit to make the story a bit more entertaining. That's fine. Ultimately, nothing comes of it. But when it comes to, like, creating controversy, that's, that's entirely different. Like, there's a reason why people in the media aren't just coming out and being like, oh, yeah, every owner is a racist. Because when you have something like what happened with Robert Sarver, if you were trying to just drum up controversy all the time, those bombshell reports wouldn't hit the same. The report which was published Monday claimed that tensions appeared to be bubbling between the players and first-year head coach Chauncey Billups after a dismal 11-13 start to the season including five losses in the last six games. The Blazers were blown out by the Celtics on Sunday 145 to 177. Dude, is that a
1: real score? No. 145 to 177? Hold on. 117 to 145. How the
0: fuck has this been up? For a day. It's been up for 24 hours and no one's corrected this. Oh my God. The the towering institution that is the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen. Competitive fire and pride. That's something you either have or you don't. That's something you can't turn off and turn on. Billups said, I've never seen a team that needs its bench to inspire our starters. That shit is crazy
1: to me. It's supposed to be the other way around. Rookie head coach, everybody. Before we, before we get to the bench
0: inspiring the starters, Mr. Billups, why don't you inspire the starters? You're the coach. You are literally just supposed to exist, Right. You have two superstars. Well, you have one superstar, one all-star on your team, okay? You have Yusuf Nurkic. You have good players, right? You have Robert Covington, albeit the team isn't that deep, but you still have a very good starting five. Dame, CJ, Powell, Covington, or if you want to bring him off the bench, whatever the fuck you want to do. Um, Yusuf Nurkic, we know Zach Collins is not playing, or at least I think Zach Collins isn't playing. He's still dealing with, uh, I think, like shoulder surgery or something, or am I just fucking stupid? No, Zach Collins isn't even on the team anymore. I'm a literal dumbass. Anyway, Larry Nance Jr. I don't know how I managed to forget. I don't know how I managed to forget him. And Simons, this is a good team, right? And even with Dame playing the worst basketball of his career, Portland is still seventh in offensive efficiency and 13th in scoring, which is pretty good when your main player is down five or six points from his career average. It falls on the coach sometimes. Guys, you have to blame the coach sometimes. Sometimes I know Portland, you know, they're a fucking dog shit team on defense, and I understand why that is because Dame is not a good defender, CJ is not a good defender, Nurkic is not a good defender, but it's called adaptation, guys. It's called adaptation. If a certain style of coverage isn't working, move to something else. If you know that your guys have difficulty fighting over screens, like CJ is liable to get stuck on screens because he's literally a tree with legs, or a sapling with legs, I guess would be the uh, the more apt analogy, then switch a little bit more, right? You can do that. You can mix up your coverages. If you're getting fucking blasted on dribble drives, but also going up against a team that can't shoot, Maybe play a little bit more zone. Of course, that's not Portland's uh, case because their opponents are shooting about 39% from three. But their defense is just so fucking bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. I, like, I think there are more issues than obviously the defense. I think all of the off-court shit that happened. But for Chauncey Billups to come out and be like, I've never seen a team that needs its bench to inspire its starters. Like, well, first of all, sometimes that's what happens, right? If you've played basketball at any level, and Chauncey Billups has played basketball at the highest level and seen success at the highest level. Even me, someone who played high school basketball, who barely played high school basketball, knows that every team runs into an instance where the starters are complacent. They're not playing hard they're not playing to win and the bench comes in and earns more minutes than the starters because they want it more they're competing that happens sometimes Chauncey I don't know why this is a fucking tremendous shock like do a pep talk do something like I understand that you know you want coaches to be even keel, you know, guys who can manage all of the um different personalities in their locker room, especially when you have a coach that can, you know, that is at the helm of guys who do have some pretty big personalities. Like I get this, I see this happen with Steve Nash sometimes. I'm like, dude, like show a little bit of emotion. Please, show a little bit of passion. Show your guys that you care. Like there's that infamous instance. <laughs> I can't remember if it was last season or two seasons ago, but there was this one game where the Nets got absolutely blasted by the officials, and Sean Marks goes into the referees' room and throws a tantrum because it's fucking wrong. You have to show your guys that you care. If you're not going, to, if you're not gonna step up to bat for your guys, they're not gonna do it to you. And I understand that. I don't actively watch the Portland Trailblazers. I don't know how Chauncey Billups is as a coach if he's very animated, but just, like, seeing him on TV and seeing how he conducts himself, he seems like a very laid-back kind of guy. guy who doesn't move too fast, likes to vibe. You know, I get that. Everyone can enjoy a good vibe every now and then, but sometimes you got to get up, dude. Sometimes you got to freak the fuck out. Like, that's just how it is. Sometimes you got to get ejected to lift some life into your team. Like, we've seen Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich. Eric Spolstra, Tom Thibodeau, even. Like, these guys are animated. Doc Rivers, like, these guys are animated. They're showing the teams that they care. But I also don't want to overlook the fact that Chauncey Billups just, like, might, he simply might not be the guy for this team. Um. Oh, and before we get to Ben Simmons and Damian Lillard, I, I, I still. I still think that Portland fucked up bringing in a rookie head coach at this time. Because when you look at someone like Damian Lillard, I know he's not going to say that he's upset with everything that's going on in Portland. But I can't speak for him either. But if I were him, I would be a little salty about what's going on in Portland. Damian Lillard comes to Portland, reps that city like it's the city that he was born in. right? He reps it just like it's Oakland. And he has turned down everything. Well, not everything. I mean, he's still got like $300 million or $200 million from the team. But in terms of things that would impact his legacy as a basketball player, which he might not care about. I mean, that's up to him. But to not compete for titles, to not even be in the contending tier, to not even be a Western Conference finalist for four, five, six, seven, eight years, dude, it's you've got to be you've got to be feeling some type of way and i don't fault him for feeling disgruntled with the organization if he does feel disgruntled with the organization because they were supposed to be one of the better teams in the west and here they are two games under 500 after bringing in a couple new pieces over the last year like i'm sure that i'm sure that hurts now among the other talking points of the buzzy piece ben simmons in fact lillard reportedly wants to play with the sixers a strange point guard and now former Blazers general manager is said to have, quote, discussed the frameworks of a trade for Simmons prior to his fr- firing Friday following an investigation of a toxic workplace, Fire- following an investigation to claims of a toxic workplace. The apparent discussions involved Lillard's backcourt mate, CJ McCollum, a first round draft pick and a young player. We can assume that this young player would probably be Anthony Simons. I'm just looking at just looking at the roster He is the best young player on that team. Um, Either him or Nasir Little or fucking CJ Ellaby, one of them. (laughs) I don't even know who that is. They could get Tony Snell. Fuck it, the Sixers might want Tony Snell. I mean, be out there literally just doing cardio. So we're looking at Dame, a first-round pick, and Anthony Simons. At least that's who I'm asking for if I'm the Sixers. Does that make the Portland Trailblazers better? Yes, it does. Because although you are losing a little bit of scoring in CJ McCollum, you are undeniably bringing in a very talented two-way player. I'm sure people hate the, hate the phrase two, two-way player because every player should be a two-way player, but it, that's simply not the case, right? So anyway, Ben Simmons comes in and he's not the scoring threat that CJ is. But you could maybe do what the Nets did with Kyrie and James Harden, right? Damian Lillard, as talented of a playmaker as he is, I don't know if he is a true point guard. he gets a lot of assists because he's such he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands, but I think he sees he just sees he sees himself as a bucket getter and everybody sees him as a bucket getter very much like with Kyrie Irving so now you bring in someone who legitimately plays point guard right Ben Simmons is always pass 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 facilitate the offense facilitate if I get a couple buckets throughout the game, I get a couple buckets but that would allow dame to have a little bit more freedom on offense. He wouldn't be limited to just playing isolation and pick and roll all game long, right? You could get a little freaky with your play call. You could have Damian Lillard work off the ball, you know, come off pin down screens, elevator screens. Like Steph Curry is probably the leader in the MVP race. And although he's got the ball in his hands for a significant amount of time, the Warriors are very liberal in their use of him or in their variety of how they use him and Dame and Steph are always mentioned alongside each other because without Kyrie Irving gone at their peaks Dame and Steph are the two best point guards in the NBA. Why not? Like just to just a little infusion of something different into the offense. And then of course the impact on defense I think would be it would be immediately noticeable. You put Ben Simmons on this team and they are immediately I think 15th or 16th be- the 15th or 16th best defense because let's be honest dude CJ McCollum is more like CJ Mick's saloon door I mean he just doesn't get stops Dane doesn't get stops either Nurk um Nurk used to be a like a presence on defense more so because he was just big but ever since that leg injury I think it kind of hampered him a little bit which of course is no fault of his own but the more complete of a defense you have the less guys have to work individually. And Larry Nance is an excellent defender as well. So is Robert Covington. I think that, you know, if you're whoever the fuck the new Blazers general manager is, I think if you're trying to come in and make a splash, I don't see why you don't pull the trigger on this. I Like, of all the Ben Simmons trades that I've seen, this one makes the most sense. It makes the most sense, especially for... The Blazers, I mean, the Sixers, like, they kind of need all the help they can get at this point. And I think CJ McCollum does help them a lot. Of course, they are going to lose a little bit on defense. But I don't really think that's an issue for them because you have Matisse Stiebel, you have Joel Embiid, you have Danny Green. Like, You've got defenders. you got defenders out there ready. But especially, like, because we don't know how long until Joel Embiid's going to be back to normal because this guy fucking nearly died from COVID. Like, that's not something you can just come back from and be the same guy that you once were. In October, after a standoff away from the team, Simmons told the Sixers that he's not, quote, mentally ready to play. He's got $150 million left in four years on his contract. Portland's defensive struggles, meanwhile, remain to be the issue. They currently rank 30th in defensive rating, but adding an All-NBA defender, like I just already talked about this. Uh, this then gets into Dame's injury. Portland Brass said that, okay, never mind. Lillard reportedly intends to be patient as Portland searches for its next head of basketball ops, though his desire for a retooled roster hasn't changed. After the Blazers were knocked down in the first round of the 2021 playoffs by the injury-ridden Nuggets, Lillard said he needed urgency from Portland management to make moves in order to win a title. uh, He asked for urgency. And what did they do? They brought in Chauncey Billups. That's urgency. Lillard was the subject of trade rumors over the summer after he expressed his frustrations in July with the way Portland was operating. Regardless, wait, <laughs> uh, at the time Lillard put a stop to the trade buzz when he pledged his support to the Blazers in August. Yeah. We know that Dame is not leaving. And if he does leave, it will be under his it will be at his discretion. Whether it's him going to the team and being like, hey, I wanna get the fuck out of here. You guys are bozos. Uh I hate you. You fucking ruined the first eight years of my career. You're dog shit. Um, L plus ratio, plus you fell off the whole nine. Or he'll just leave in free agency, which I don't which I, I don't foresee happening. I think that if Lillard were to leave, it would be after the Blazers made an actual move to try to make the team better. Because at that point, like if you trade for Ben Simmons and the team is
1: still dog shit, it's kind of like okay. I, it's it's simply not going to work. And sometimes it doesn't work
0: out and that's okay. Now, speaking of things that aren't working out, we have Kyrie Irving again because I know I've talked about ad or I've mentioned ad
1: nauseum. How much I don't want to fucking talk about Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I don't want to fucking talk about Kyrie Irving. I'm so fucking sick of it. But
0: this story this story came across my timeline today and
1: there was there was no way I couldn't talk about it. The title Kyrie Irving might be swayed
0: <laughs> to take plant-based COVID vaccine in the works. This was written by <laughs> Mark Sanchez for the legendary institution <laughs> <That> <laughs> That is the New York Post. Call him Kyrie Herbing. It is possible, according to a report Monday that sourced, quote, people close to him, that Kyrie could be swayed into getting vaccinated when a plant-based COVID-19 vaccine
1: has been approved. And then someone... <laughs> I'm,
0: dude, I'm sorry Like, if you're listening to this on audio. Someone goes... And Quote tweets this with that picture, that old school picture, like that fucking top text, like top text, bottom text picture of
1: James Harden and Kevin Durant where it's like mom made pizza rolls and they go mom made Beyond Moderna. Irving, who is vegan, is unvaccinated and has said his decision has been, quote,
0: what's best for me. Irving has not disclosed a specific reason concerning his hesitancy about the vaccine, saying in October that, quote, it's not about being anti-vax or being on one side or the other. It's really about being true to what feels good to me. Kyrie is inherently an anti-vaxxer because he doesn't want to get the vaccine. Dumb. Hate this decision. Every day. Every fucking day, I grow more and more upset about people who cite dumbass reasons for not getting vaccinated. Like, I, I'm done. <laughs> I am no longer asking. I'm fucking, I'm done with it. If Kyrie wants to get fucking the Beyond Meat blended up and injected into his arm, dude, I really don't give a fuck. At this point, I don't fucking care. Oh, God! Perhaps a plant based dosage about which the Bally sports report speculated feels feels best for him. The current vaccines were tested on animals with which some animal rights groups take issue um i I don't know anything about that. I thought that the vaccines were tested on people in clinical trials um. I I can't I can't speak to that. That seems kind of wild that they're going to test the vaccine on animals
1: when animals react differently to covid than humans do. I, like again, not a scientist,
0: just a dumbass. Remember guys, I paint my nails. I'm not exactly the foremost authority on covid. Oh, I got to see I got to see if this report, the Bally Sports report mentions it. Because that's fucking hilarious.
1: Will he get vaccinated? Extremely unlikely. That's talking about the uh, the side effects. Irving also does not want
0: to get vaccinated because of bad experiences with his health due to basketball injuries over the years. Um, That. Pardon me. Based on his last three or four years, I can see why he's apprehensive. Okay, well, not to get like all fucking metaphysical here, but. Vegan athletes don't tend to be the most, thur- the most durable. This could be all anecdotal. I don't know if there is actual science to support this, but just looking at someone like Cam Newton, for example, someone like Kyrie Irving, these guys don't eat animal products. And I'm sure that they have teams of nutritionists that are trying to get them all the necessary vitamins and nutrients they need or vitamins and minerals they need, taking various supplements. Um, feeding them multiple different kinds of plant-based protein, so that way their bodies receive all the amino acids. Um, also, I'm not a vegan, so I don't know like how much like vegans actually have to eat, especially if they're a professional athlete. Like you, you have to consume like four or five, six thousand calories a day because of what you're burning off during the game. Uh, I don't know if Kyrie's doing it for um, animal rights reasons. I commend him for that. I think that is very, I think that's very respectable of him and very admirable of him. But still, I don't know wh- what the fuck, like the plant-based vaccine bullshit has to do. Uh, Irving has adopted a, so like plant-based version of the vaccine. I don't, I don't get it. All right, let's read
1: more about this fucking plant-based uh, COVID vaccine. Cause this is fucking awesome. But are they vegan? Oh my god. Is the plant based vaccine. What? What the fuck? The definition of veganism recognizes that it's not possible. I had no idea that vaccines were tested on
0: animals. That's fucking hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious. Obviously, again, I don't think that's
1: funny. I, I, what the, I had never heard that. I had never heard about that before. All vaccines go through a process of being tested on animals further
0: down the line. I wouldn't say animals are being harmed in the process. He said, however, he said, however, and added, he doesn't think scientists can eliminate animals completely from the process of vaccine development in the near future. Um, that's courtesy of Zachary Leblanc. I've never seen Zachary spelled like this before. Z a c h a r i e. I don't spell my name that. That's got. That's definitely the fucking French way of doing it. Um, utilizing plants to cure diseases certainly makes sense, but if it's still tested on animals, okay, I'm bored of this. Bored of this. Okay. There are plant based vaccines. In the works, including one from a Canadian biotech company that is going through clinical trials. According to the company, the study, which is being conducted in Japan, is aiming to gain approval in Japan by March of twenty two. is unclear when the United States would approve, or even if Irving would be on board. Um, that was just talking about Kyrie. What Kyrie is, what the Nets are missing with Kyrie. I don't give a fuck about all that. I think I've talked enough about Kyrie and what his absence. For Brooklyn. I'm like the horse has been dead. The horse is dead. The horse has been dead. The horse has been decomposing and I'm still beating it. Still beating it. I will no longer. I will no longer beat the dead horse. Um we're gonna move back to Kemba Walker. I talked about him recently, or recently I mean last week, because that's um because I have brain rot. So as we know, Kemba has been benched by the Knicks because and get that Kemba Walker has not been the uh the greatest asset to New York this season. However, after seeing how the Knicks have struggled over their recent days, I don't think Kemba Walker is the problem. I don't think Julius Randle is the problem. Of course, RJ Barrett, uh he missed the second half of the game against the Nets, definitely played a role, but Brooklyn is now Brooklyn has dropped to one game below 500. They're now 22nd in defensive efficiency and 16th in offensive efficiency. Things are falling apart rather quickly. They're on a three game losing streak. It started losing to Brooklyn. They then lost to Chicago and they lost to Denver. Quite the, um, quite the road trip for them. It is also crucial to remember that Denver is on paper, the weakest of these teams because no Michael Porter jr. No, uh, no Jamal Murray. And they, they got fucking blasted. They got smacked around by Nikola Jokic and uh, Zeke Naji. Who the fuck is this guy, dude? Zeke Naji. This guy had twenty-one points. This rookie or this second-year player had twenty-one points against the Knicks. Yeah, put them on a rocket ship. They can they can go to Mars
1: with Elon Musk. Um, safe to say that I don't think that mentioned Kemba Walker was the problem because
0: the Knicks are just incapable of manufacturing offense. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work for them. Tom Thibodeau has never been that guy. Now, Kemba Walker says, I have no choice but to live with it, and he's uncertain of his future. This is courtesy of Yahoo Sports. Kemba Walker's start with the New York Knicks didn't go well. Now, one week after he was benched and removed from the Knicks rotation, Walker said he has no idea what comes next for him in New York and beyond. Dude, the new, we are giving so much love to the New York Post today. I don't think I've ever consumed this much content from the Post. But Walker said this, quote, it was tough, obviously, because as a competitor, I love to play basketball. I love to be on the court. This is the first time this has happened to me in my career, pretty much on any level. But at the end of the day, I have respect for Coach Tibbs and the decision he made. It might not have been an easy one, but it was a choice he made. I have no choice but to live with it. So Tom Thibodeau, his reason was he felt that this was best for the team. And I see why Knicks fans were kind of like, okay, yeah, this is best for the team because the Knicks already struggle as an offense. Kemba Walker hasn't, you know, blown away anyone with his production this year, albeit he is still shooting around the same mark for his career. I believe his true shooting percentage is actually uh, better than his career average, but his scoring's down because he's getting fewer shots. He wasn't as involved in the offense. And unfortunately for the Knicks, it was best to take him out of the lineup to mitigate the, uh, the hemorrhaging on the defensive end. Tom Thibodeau says, it's a tough decision to make, but you do what's best for your team. I you Kemba as a starter. Uh, I I've said this already. All right. I talked about this exact thing last week. Well, he's admittedly in a frustrating situation, Walker's trying to handle it positively. As long as he's still with the Knicks, he's going to be right there on the bench. Quote, I could be pissed. I could be upset. But at the end of the day, there's some young guys here who look up to me. This is true. Kemba is Kemba is a New York City basketball legend. Okay. Oh, wait. I think he went to uh, Rice High School in the Bronx, if I'm not mistaken. Somewhere in the Bronx. Goes to UConn. Of course, cardiac Kemba. Step back jumper to win the game yada, yada, yada. And as we know, Connecticut is just New York, but a little bit to the Northeast. And then even still him going to Charlotte, him going to Boston, like he's still always been well, he's always been beloved in New York city. And you know, players know that players respect him for it. So obviously I'm not surprised that he's like not pouting and pissing, shitting and farting all over the place just because he got benched because like at the end of the day, he's still getting the back. All right, right. Okay, so he's paying him twenty-five million or some shit. He's getting nine million from the Knicks. I mean, sure, would he want to compete for a championship? Yeah, I think he would, but I don't think he would have went to the Knicks if he uh if he really wanted to compete for a champion. You know? I'm not saying that Kimball Walker doesn't want to win, but like he still has a couple of years before he has to start ring chasing, right? He's still talent wise good enough to help elevate whatever you know mid-tier team he goes to. I'm pretty sure they wanted to see how I reacted to the situation. Anybody on my team down the line can be in the same situation. It was tough, but at the end of the day, it's not about me. I'm a team guy. I've always been. You can ask anyone who I've ever played with. I've always been a team guy. I love being around my teammates. I'm going to cheer them until I can't anymore. That's what it's about. I still want Kemba in Brooklyn, okay? I'm going to talk about this until it happens, right? Get Kemba Walker, get Miles Turner, Kidnap them, bring them into Brooklyn. I don't give a fuck. I want them here. Although I don't think that Kemba can be traded until December 15th. Because um, I don't know the exact verbiage or the legalities of it. But a player, if I'm not mistaken, uh, trade restriction. Okay, so he can't be traded until December 15th and I think that applies to guys in their first season of signing with a new team again not a salary cap guy not a financial expert not a legal expert remember I'm just a guy on the internet who's a dumbass right half of my brain is smooth still I want Kimba Walker on the net and we're at about an hour so what I'm going to do is before we're close before closing this out we're going to go to Bleacher Report. I like the little tradition that we're building here where every day, every week before I close out the podcast, what do we do? We go to Bleacher Report and we consume Bleacher Report content because it's fucking amazing. How to fix the Lakers, Sixers, and the NBA's most disappointing teams with a trade. God, this is by fellow Zach, Zach Buckley. Shout out to you Zach. I'm not going to uh, I'm going to try my best not to shit on you. I'm sure you're a great guy. But um hey,
1: listen. It's just content at the end of the day. It's just content, dude. Content, man. I, you want to know what? Let's, fuck it. Let's go ahead and step
0: right into it. Zach, what do you have on the table for us? For the Pacers, who we just got done rambling about. Adding a featured scorer. That guy? Brandon Ingram for Miles Turner. Well, the full trade is Brandon Ingram and Tomas Sadoransky for Miles Turner, Karis Levert, and Isaiah Jackson. Now, this trade... Could be what the Pacers are looking for. You know, although they want to go a little bit younger, um, Brandon Ingram is, you know, I think he's young enough. Definitely young enough. You pull him out of that dog shit situation in New Orleans. You put him on a good team where he is without a doubt the featured guy. Can play off of Chris Duarte and Malcolm Brogdon. And as we know, the Pacers are already moving. They're already shifted to moving. Turner and Carlos Levert. So, I mean, a trade like this, dude, this could be a good trade. This could definitely be a good trade for Indiana. The Lakers. Find a two-way role player. So, the one that's projected here or um, put forth here is, again, Pacers or the Pacers are involved. We have TJ Warren and Justin Holiday, or Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and Malik Monk. I don't want the Lakers to make this trade because I think that the Lakers have to live with the consequences of their actions. You make your team better on paper because you do bring in Russell Westbrook, but you compromised or you basically gave up everything that made your team championship level, right? I get you sell LeBron. You still have AD. And I know that you lost to the Suns because AD was there. I, I, I get it. But you traded Montrez Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, three instrumental role players in what you were doing. I'm sorry um, I you know TJ Warren great guy I'm sure and um, you know it would make sense for the Lakers to trade Kendrick Nunn because he's not going to be coming back for uh, a little bit I think I saw not until 2022 I also don't know if the Pacers would you know take up that offer uh, Taylor Horton Tucker I think is good but again he's not replacing any of the guys that you traded last season Turn Ben Simmons into a deeper, better balanced roster. Oh, dude, we get DeJounte, Murray, Devin Vassell, and Doug McDermott for Ben Simmons. I
1: would love to see Ben Simmons in San Antonio, only because Greg Popovich is the coach. I think that you can give Greg Popovich any player, and
0: he will get the most out of them, without a doubt. I think that Greg Popovich could give Ben Simmons the little kick in the behind that he needs to really take his game to the next level, whether it's all, whether it's physical, physically, whether it's mentally like, and also just getting out of the situation that is Philadelphia, getting out of that toxic mess and going to a place like San Antonio where you have stable management in the front office, you have a stable coach. I mean, and even if someone, even if Becky Hammond, I hope she gets called up when Greg Popovich eventually retires unless he's just going to turn into Gandalf and remain with the team for pretty much forever. Um, I think that that would be a wonderful place for Ben Simmons to go. Uh, I don't really know too much about Devin Vassell. I've seen him mentioned on the timeline a couple of times. I mean, looks like a decent shooter, 39%. Uh, averages almost 12 points a night. That's pretty good. Um. Doug McDermott, as we know, absolute sniper, is really the stereotypical white basketball player. Right. Tall, unathletic, but can shoot the fucking lights out of the basketball. Kyle Corver, 2.0, I feel like. Definitely. Um, I'm gonna give this trade. I'm gonna give this trade a B, even though I haven't ranked any of the previous trades. Uh Portland Trailblazers win the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. Okay, so we already talked about this. I'm not gonna talk about it again. But this trade includes C.J. McCollum, that first round pick that we talked about, and the young player is Nasir Little. So my fellow Zach over here is not giving or is, I think he thinks that the Sixers aren't as smart as I think they are. Because, you know, if you're
1: trying to trade Ben Simmons, wouldn't you want to get Anthony Simons as well? I th- I think so. I mean, Nasir Little is
0: also a quality young player, so I'm not going to get too hung up on this. But that was that was a nice little uh a nice little a nice little write up. Shout out to you, shout out to Zach, shout out to all the Zacks out there. And with that, I'm gonna go ahead. and I'm gonna close this one out. Thank you guys so very much for coming to hang out with me today this is your first time welcome if you're a returning listener welcome back everything that i'm associated with is down in the description box below social medias uh instagram tiktok twitter all that good stuff be sure to subscribe to the youtube channel and if you're listening to this on an apple device leave a like a rating and a review if you're listening to this anywhere else follow it if your podcast player allows you to do that if you enjoyed this episode tell someone about it if you didn't and you absolutely hated it tell someone about
1: it all press is good press With that, catch you guys next week.